Heavenly Father, this morning, we really are looking for who you are. We want to see you for who you truly are. And so as we open your word, may we catch a glimpse, even if it's just a little bit, of the God of the universe that loves us and that pursues us forever and ever, no matter what. So just bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. A God of pursuit, relentless pursuit. When I think of pursuit... I am immediately transported to the African safari where a cheetah is bounding across the desert. Like this guy, here he is, boom. Eyes locked in on the target, tail like a redder. He is chasing down an antelope, and if that antelope uh, slows down at all, he becomes lunch for this cheetah. Now that's, he's pursuing with everything. I, I think of pursuit like uh, a guy on a freeway. Uh, here, here, here he is. He's driving, zigzagging in between cars. The police are in hot pursuit of the speeding scoundrel. And so they, they radio ahead. They say, hey, put out the spike strips. Let's flatten this guy's tires. Uh, they're, they're moving in for the pit maneuver, you know, where they hit the back of the car and it spins around so that they can get this criminal. When I think of pursuit, I think of prison break. Have you all seen that show? Nobody's raising their hands. Yeah, we all know. You watch it. Okay. Ah, guys that are on the loose. The FBI is trying to catch them. They're jumping on trains. They're stealing bicycles. They're doing whatever it takes to get away from the people that are pursuing them. The problem with pursuit is that every time I think of that word, you think of these situations which are very negative. The bad guy is coming to get you. He's coming to capture you. Not too long ago, my neighbor came to my door and he needed us to borrow a tool. And uh, so we, we exchanged the tool and then we, stat, we stood on the front porch and just began talking. And, and as he talked, he shared about his teenage son who's making some really bad decisions in life. And he shared his heart about the struggle he has as a father to raise his son, to have good friends and to, to grow into a good young man. And, and as we talked, I said, hey man, let me just pray for you. And he kind of looked at me weird. And so we just, on the porch there, we just prayed, and I prayed for him as a dad and as a father, that he'd have patience, that he'd have wisdom, that he would know how to work with his son. And I prayed for his son that he would grow to have good friendships that lift him up rather than tear him down. And as I ended the prayer and said amen, I opened my eyes and my neighbor, he looked at me and he looked up to the sky and he said, well, he hasn't struck me with lightning bolts yet. And this is the picture that so many people have of God, that he's on his throne and he's just watching and he's waiting for you to screw up and mess up so that he can kill you. Yeah, that's not how the Bible describes him. All throughout the Bible, he's described in beautiful ways. Like in Isaiah chapter nine, he's described as an everlasting father. And even if your father wasn't good, the God of the universe, the father of all mankind, is a wonderful father that is there for you always, supporting, hoping the best for you, wanting you to develop and be fantastic. In John 10, he's the good shepherd. He's with you every step of the way, guiding you, directing you, keeping you safe. In John 14, he's the advocate. We, we just spent a whole series talking about how he advocates for us. He's always on your side, always wanting you to win. In Deuteronomy 7, he's called faithful. You can always count on him. He never leaves. He never forsakes you. He's always there. In 2 Samuel, our God is called the rock, a foundation you can really stand on that doesn't shake that doesn't shift during storms. In John 6, he's called the bread of life. He's sustenance. He's what keeps you going. He, he's, he's what keeps you alive. In Mark chapter 2, he's called the bridegroom. 
the one that pursues his bride and vows himself to her only forever. He's everything but someone that doesn't care or someone that is angry or someone that's non-existent. In fact, there are lots of descriptions about who God is, but there's a thread that goes through all of them because he's described as one that constantly and forever and always pursues us. It's kind of a cool idea. I mean, we, we think of the God-human relationship and how we do have responsibility to go to God, but he's always in constant pursuit of us. He always wants us. Like, he's the one that leaves the 99 sheep that are safe in the pen, and he goes to find the one that's lost because he cares about them. He'll jump through brambles. He'll fall off a rocky face, cliffs, because he wants that one. He pursues us. Uh, he's the one that goes down the driveway all the way to the end and looks down the street both ways to get, be the first one to catch a glimpse of the prodigal that's coming home. He's the one that will tear the house apart, flip the couch over, get his hands down in the cushions of the couch, you know, where the Cheetos are and people's hair is and it's gross down there because he wants to find the lost coin because it's so important to him. He's the one that looks for that priceless pearl, and when he finds it, he sells everything he has to get it because it's so important to him. He's the one that leaves heaven to come to earth because you are that important to him. And this is huge. This is huge because it's a bigger, better understanding of God and who he is. It makes God uh, look not just like a lazy being that sits and waits, but one that is active because he's a pursuer. If you've got your Bible this morning, I invite you to open it to Psalm chapter 139. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you, and you can follow along on page 444. That's not 666, it's 444. Can I get an amen? I'm just kidding. You're Adventist. Relax. It's fine. Psalm 139. I love the book of Psalms. It's a good book. King David, or the shepherd boy David, he writes this, and he writes it from his own experiences, his own life, and he shares his, his heart, his prayers, his petitions, and you get to read what's happening in his life. And in Psalm 139, he gives a description of the pursuant God. Uh, I like the whole chapter. You may want to read the whole thing later on today, but we're just going to focus on the first 12 verses this morning. And Psalm 139, starting in verse 1, here's what it says. David says this, he says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word's on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in and behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Now, God, uh, David describes God as this one that knows it all. He knows uh, what you're going to do. He knows what you're thinking, which is absolutely terrifying to me. He knows the words you're gonna say before you ever say them. He knows uh, when you sleep and when you're awake. And if you've got a messed up lens by which you look at God, then you read this passage and it sounds like God is a guard God who's always watching, always waiting for you to mess up. He's watching you sleep. He's watching the words you say. He's thinking about what your thoughts are. But that's not what he looks like. This is what I think David's trying to tell us. 
Every night, after Jen and I get ready for bed, ready to climb in bed, teeth brushed, showered, we are ready for sleep, we go down the hallway to our boys' rooms. If you have kids, you probably do this too. And we turn the handle on the knobs, or the doors, and we walk inside, and we go and we check on our kids. Now, so often, it looks like this. There's my guy, Kanan T, sleeping with his buddy Woody from, from Toy Story. Now, Kanan is a funny dude, because oftentimes we'll tuck him in at night, um, and it'll, it'll just be him, and then when we go and check on him later on that night, he'll have at least 35 stuffed animals tucked in with him. Something has happened between when we tucked him in and when we went to check on him. Or, or uh, one time, a couple years ago, we went to go check on Kane and T, and, and as we went in there, uh, this is what he looked like. <laughs> you guys don't sleep with PJ masks masks on? Oh, it's so uncomfortable. It's like hard plastic, and, and we were just laughing. And as we, as we go and check on our kids, oftentimes I just stand there and stare at them. And I listen to them breathing. And sometimes I'll put my hand on their chest. And if they're too hot, I turn the fan on. And if they're too cold, I put a blanket on them. And, and I make sure that they're all tucked in. We put their stuffed animals and we tuck them around there. And we just stand there sometimes looking and thinking, these are our babies. How can we be so blessed to have these great kids? And they sleep knowing that they're safe. They don't know, but we've already locked the doors of the house. They don't know, but we've got food that we can make in the morning. They don't ever think about it. They sleep and rest knowing that their parents care about them and are always watching over them. And this is what I believe David is doing as he describes God, a God that watches, not looking and watching for you to mess up, but his heart swells as he sees you and me. And he says, man, those are my kids. Are you seeing the picture of God yet? Oh, I wonder if your picture of God may need a bit of an adjustment. I don't know what your lens looks through, but as you look through him, maybe your lens is hazy or it's, or it's scratched or it's a little fuzzy. Let David's words help you as you see the God of pursuit. Here's what it says, verse 7, Psalm 139, verse 7. He says this, David says, Where, God, can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there too. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. See, David describes God as somebody you can't get away from, even if you wanted to. You, you can go near, you can go far, you can go high, you can go low, but God is continually pursuing you. You can try to hide in the darkness, and he will find you, because he's always present, he's always pursuing. You can't get away from him, even if you wanted to, because he's always there, continually pursuing you. In fact, David, in the most famous psalm you, you, that you know, Psalm 23, he ends it like this, this. He says, your beauty, God, and your love, they chase after me every day of my life. That's a pursuant God. See, the bridegroom, God, pursues the bride with everything he's got, 
even his own son, and he would do whatever it takes to get the girl. He'd chase, he'd fight if he'd have to, he'd light up shadows to find you, he'd climb mountains to get to you, he would do whatever it takes to get the girl. When I was 18 years old, I met the most beautiful girl in the whole world. Still is, by the way. I don't actually remember the first time that I saw her. It probably was at GCA, the very first day of school. They always have this event. It's called the GCA Handshake. Every student and faculty member get in a line, and you end up shaking and meeting every single other person that's there. All the guys are scoping out the girls. All the girls are scoping out the guys. All the teachers are wondering who the troublemakers are. And as uh, we went there, I'm sure I met Jen, but uh, to be honest and be fair, she met me first, or she uh, saw me first. In fact, it was at a basketball game. Jen went to Christian Heritage School. It's a Christian school up in Dalton, Georgia. And it just so happened that when I was a junior and she was a sophomore, GCA played Christian Heritage in basketball. That's my game. And so as we went up there, we played... And while the guys' team was playing, Jen sat on the bleachers with her stepdad, Big John is what we call him, John Schleier, and he was kind of scoping out the fellas, and he said, I think that guy right there is the one that you should pursue. (laughs) The next year, the next year, Jen came to GCA, and I quickly realized that I had better pursue her before anybody else did. Christmas banquet was coming soon, And I knew that there was going to be a long line of guys wanting to take her to this banquet. And so I got my thinking cap on. We, uh, she was on the girls basketball team. I was on the guys basketball team. And we went up to to play a game somewhere. We were on the bus. And on the way back, the plan came to be. And I said, all right, fellas, team, let's go. So the guys team surrounded Jen on the bus. We're all, I mean, this is not safe. I, I don't know. I don't know why people let us do this. You got like... 12 guys surrounding this one bench in a bus, the whole bus probably leaning a little bit. We surrounded her as I sang, you are so beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And after the song, I said this, Jennifer Stout, you are so beautiful. You are so sweet. Grant my wish with a kiss on the cheek. (laughs) Would you go to the Christmas banquet with me? And she's beat red, so embarrassed. And she said, yes. (laughs) And I said, I don't think you heard me. Grant my wish with a kiss on the cheek. See, I'm no dummy. I knew what I was doing. She gave me the sweetest little kiss. Soon after that, junior-senior banquet was coming, and how do you top that? Well, you have to if you want to get the girl, pursuing her always. My parents live in Calhoun, just a few miles from GCA, and so I said, hey, Dad, would you be willing to let the grass grow really long over the next couple of weeks? And he said, okay, sure. And so one day, two weeks out, I went and took the lawnmower and the weed eater. This, This is putting sweat, this is investment in the future, guys. This is sweatiness to pursue this girl. And I mowed letters into the grass to make this special message for her. Well, after I'd mowed these letters, I looked at it, and you couldn't read it because it's all green. 
This was a waste of time. And so I went to the, the wood pile and I took logs and I put these logs out into letters in the, in the yard. The next day, Jen and I got permission from the, the deans to drive to my parents' house. And when we got there, I blindfolded her. This is not safe again. I blindfolded her, led her around the back side of the house where a ladder was prepared. And I made her blindfolded, climb the ladder to get onto the roof. <laughs> Uh, I got up there with her and then took her blindfold off and she looked down and there it was. Junior, senior, question mark? She said, yes, of course, after all that work. Man, I'm so glad. We climbed down the ladder. My mom had fresh brownies and milk waiting for us. She knew that Jen was fantastic. From there, it was phone calls because Jen was the front desk worker in the girls' dorm and the dean had no idea that I was the one that kept calling. I went to Southern as a freshman and she was a senior and I was that guy that kept coming back every weekend to see his girl. I would do anything and everything to be with her because she was worth it and I still would. And I think that this is the picture of God that we have to understand. A picture of God that is relentlessly pursuing humans from the foundation of the world, before you were ever an idea in your parents' mind, God knew you and he loved you. Long before you ever knew him, he was pursuing you and he never stops pursuing. From before you were born till the day you get to be with him forever and ever in heaven, he will always pursue you because that's, that's who he is. He's a God that can't stop and he won't stop until he's reunited with those that are attacked by sin. He'll do whatever it takes. He'll knock down walls, he'll walk through fire, he'll search everywhere, he'll pour his own blood, sweat, and tears into it as he pursues you because that's just who he is. And this morning, whether you are close to him or you're far from him, whether you are in a lifelong committed relationship with him or it's a brand new one or you haven't even started it, whether you've got relational baggage with God because of past experiences, whether you've got a jaded picture of him because the lens that you look to, to him is fuzzy, may you know and feel the relentless pursuit of God towards you because he will never stop. And may you begin to see him for who he really is, a God of relentless pursuit.